Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Adrian Brown. Welcome back. I should say. Well, thank you for having me back. I feel very privileged. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's lovely to have you back because you helped open up this whole show all the way back in April 2020. And your episode was episode two, Stop, Pause, Breathe, Continue. My goodness, that was irrelevant. I remember it well. It was, yeah, it was quite a thing that. It was a great privilege to be there at the beginning as well. And you've just gone from strength to strength. You've just done so much since. It's been great. Really good to be back with you. Brilliant. Well, let's kick it off with what is it you're focusing on at the moment, Adrian? Well, we moved. <laughs> we didn't buy a zoo, but we moved. So um, in 2020, my mum passed away um, after a bit, bit of a long illness before COVID. And then in November that same year, Wendy's um, mother passed away. And we realised that that was our chance to go and do it our way. And we originally thought of going to France that was before Brexit so um we looked west we got as far as Launceston and we said that's a bit too far we pulled it back and we moved to just outside Exeter and Wendy had started a flower farm uh, when we were back home in Hampshire so we brought that idea as well and we set that up here and she's doing that now which is going really well and I started writing books in uh, the lockdown with my business partner my master who lives in Vancouver and we just sort of started a new life. And the writing of the books was this catalyst, I think, to discover what I've been doing it all for, <laughs> probably for most of my life. And um, there was this one occasion where Mike and I were on a call, and we just, during lockdown, we spoke every day, nine o'clock his time, five o'clock my time. And um, we had this call one day, and there was this silence. And there was complete silence. And it was that moment of silence where we suddenly went, huh, there's that point. And we realised what we'd been doing and how we'd been doing it. And as we started to talk about that and we got very excited about it, we said, right, what we've got to do is we've got to put this down. And we weren't thinking of writing a book. We just said, we've got to to collect this as as some knowledge. And so we started having these, in our calls, going through all the different points. And then one day I said, maybe you should write a book. And Mike had written loads of books in his time. Uh, he wrote a book with John Grinder, which is all about um, communication years ago. And he wrote his own books. And so I was like, no, I don't want to write another book. And I said, well, what about a small book? He said, no, no, book writing is really hard work and things like that. And I met through the, the internet, um, John uh, Julian Crossley from Bite Size Books. And put the idea to him about writing these books about organisation design and leadership and management and things. And he really bit our hand off and said, could you write a series? 
we went yes and then selling that to mike i said no they're just pamphlets because they're they're little books you know they're thin (laughs) mike went yeah okay we'll do that so we've written three of the seven we've got four more to go and um having done that again realizing what i've been doing all this for i thought right we've got to start speaking about we've got to put this out there and giving people a new direction and we're trying to start a little revolution if you like in the way people manage and lead and run businesses and it's really interesting you you, you started off by saying that you could go our way talking about moving to where you wanted to go and now you're talking about giving people new direction so what is it about way and direction that is important to you well very good question the we all know if you don't know where you're going you end up anywhere right so having a having something having a direction having a goal or a vision or a stand whatever you like to call it you know different people have different language for it but when you stand for something everything else starts to fall into place you know you see what's missing you see what needs to be developed you see the things that don't fit and so you start to discard things that are relevant i've just been reading um clan of the cave bear um which i'd never read before i i sort of had never come across it and i found it absolutely interesting from a point that everything in their life was necessary there was nothing in their life that was unnecessary and when she gets kicked out and she has to move on and she's now in the valley of the horses or whatever it is now um you suddenly realize the only thing they carry with them are the things that are necessary for their journey and we do tend to carry around a lot of baggage so one of the things for me is like being really clear about where you're going because then you can create the conditions for that journey. Um, you do podcasts now. We talked about, we joked at the beginning, he said, you know, never did video with the podcast. Like, great, because you discard that, you do what you do. <clears throat> and the conditions you create support what you do. And so many businesses and business leaders and owners and, and people in all walks of life, we carry so much baggage around with us. It sort of distracts from the path we're on. So actually by getting rid of the baggage getting rid of the distractions getting rid of the obstacles is another way of putting it you get to be more successful you get to travel further so it's um direction is it's the start you know once you've got direction everything else can follow and when you say travel further where is it that you're aiming for adrian or um i don't know that it's a place i think it's more of a, a of a way of being um for me because I had a very old friend of mine um, who lives in Australia who looked at me one day and he said, Adrian, you could live in a caravan, a castle, a flat, a tent, or under a bus shelter, and you'd be happy. Because wherever you are, you make it work for you. And so it's not so much the place, but it's being able to make it work for me. So for me, where am I moving to? I'm moving to a place where I get to be able to do what I love, which is helping people grow in, and that means so many different things to so many different people, uh, with my family around me, with my wife with me, as healthy as I can be, but busy. I hate not being busy. And I think lockdown for me was hard because I wasn't busy. I wasn't being used up. There was a lot of pent-up energy. Um, some people fidget. I don't so much fidget. 
I wait. And then when I'm given the opportunity, I get busy. And so I'm always wanting to, that, that opportunity to be busy. And in our previous conversation, when we recorded the first episode, it was about, well, the title was called Stop, Pause, Breathe, Continue. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that that does give this time for reflection, time for being able to rethink what's going on. And that's, even though that doesn't sound as though it's busy, it's still involving thought. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um if you don't stop and think and consider what's going on around you, what happens is what's going on around you becomes normalized and accepted. If you do take time to stop and consider, you then see obstacles that actually can be dealt with. You see baggage that you're carrying around that's no longer relevant. And in terms of people, you see the stories that you've built up that might be stopping you moving forward. So our beliefs, our beliefs change, but often they don't change because we don't give time to reflect on them. So we can get stuck because we're not having enough time to consider actually what's going on right now. And it's, I suppose the analogy is if, you, if you've always played um, squash, on a squash court, the squash court is normal and it becomes a limiting belief. You can't play any other game. So stick a squash player on a tennis court and, you know, they can't play the game. So you've got to find ways of checking what's going on in your environment, seeing what's in your environment, seeing if it's beneficial, detrimental, seeing if it's helping you or not helping you, see if it's holding you back or seeing if it's giving you, and this is, a, I think, a really powerful way of looking at it, seeing if it is giving you a constraint to operate within. And there's a lovely phrase, which is embrace the beautiful constraints. And as a leader or as a business owner or as just a person living a life, if you're aware of the constraints as constraints and not problems, then you it gives you the freedom to operate within those constraints. Go back to the tennis court, the constraints of the lines, the net, the ball, the racket, the rules of the game, the rules of the etiquette, and then you get the freedom to go and play tennis. And then you get the wide variety of different types of tennis being played and different people playing tennis, but it's within the constraints. So you get limits, but they're limits that allow you to perform. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. Parameters to perform within. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that you bring an analogy of sport into this conversation again, because I remember last time we spoke, you also spoke about playing tennis and then realizing that what was coming back was archery. And it was because we were in lockdown and it was a very different um, sort of the parameters were were sort of restrictive and it was absolutely the case. Now, what I want to talk about is. I love this embracing the beautiful constraints. And I'm talking about it in the book I'm writing about knowing what you can control, what you can't control and and understanding what it is that then challenging again your beliefs. Absolutely. It's it's, we're speaking the same language here. Mm -hmm. This way of being. Have it has it always been clear for you 
you had somebody explain that they could see you and picture you living anywhere because it's not about the place it's the way of being that you've got a handle of do you feel that that's something that's come with maturity or have you always had that I think I've always had it but now I'm so aware of it that it's 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 more powerful um when we moved down here we we there's a our, our road our, there's a bit of land on the other side of the road and there's a hedge that was just absolutely destroyed and it had been never looked after being neglected so we decided to uh, lay what was there and replant and I went out and <laughs> when someone said yeah go there ahead replant it easy no it's not especially on Devon Banks because Devon Banks look nice and fluffy but actually they've got lumps of rock in the middle of them so I set off to plant some trees or, or I think they call them whips um, so I'm out there and I've got a, a wheelbarrow full of 300 whips and I think oh, I'll just put them in there that won't take long well a, a day later <laughs> I look back down and there were the little plastic tubes with the sticks and the little whips all planted in the two rows down the hedge line. And I went and I stopped. And I thought, my God, that's it. I've just created the conditions for a hedge to happen. And if I go back right the way through my life, go back to school when I was at Charterhouse, I was in charge of theatre lighting. That was creating the conditions for the actors to perform. I was in charge of chapel sound. That was creating the conditions for the music and the speeches and the sermons, whatever they were, to be heard. And every single bit of business I've ever done, if I've been creating the conditions for people to succeed, the business has succeeded. Where I've gone off track, where it's become about something else, it hasn't. And I've had a, you know some classic failures out there, which... Um, was when we had the, the Dove Spa salons and Unilever decided that they weren't selling enough product and pulled the whole thing. And and they made, they you know, liquidated the company. Um, that was about, that wasn't about developing the people. It stopped being about developing the people. It was about making more money out of product sales. And if you're not, growth comes from people. It always does. You know, there's nothing on this planet that grows that we're in charge of, or we're not in charge of, that we're, we're influencing, that doesn't involve the actions of people. And that goes right from agriculture, right the way through to um, art, through every single thing, people are involved in it. So you've got to grow people. You've got to create the conditions for people to grow. And that's what I've always done. And when I'm not doing it, it's not, it fails. It's, it's just, don't ask me to go and do something about engineering. Ask me to do something about people. Yeah, that's that's where it works. So I have this belief in purpose that we don't find it, we create it. And you you are just describing this exactly mm -hmm. here, that this is your purpose, that it is to create these conditions for growth, which is a beautiful purpose. What's the evolutionary element of that because as you know it, growth involve, evolves so what what's what's next for you um that's unknown honestly um in the in the first book we put a whole chapter down to it to talk about emergence this thing called emergence which people sort of go oh yeah emergence i understand that well emergence is unknown things arriving from unknown purposes uh, unknown actions so like they're surprises 
And then evolution takes over and the surprises that can gain um, a foothold, whatever that means in whatever environment they're operating in, then that new thing, that emergent phenomenon succeeds and becomes an, a normal thing we see in love. There's a fantastic exp um, explanation by Stuart Kaufman about um, the little worms that live in swim bladders in fish. But that's a whole different story. That's a, that's a episode in its own. And <laughs> we'll leave that one out. But the, the, the thing that is true is that we can't control emergence. We can influence it. We can create conditions so that emergence might be affected by the constraints we put in place. But we can't stop it. It's going to happen anyway. And so when you say, "What's well, where does this go next? What does it happen after? I don't know. But all I can say is what I'm trying to do is put the conditions in place where leadership is transformed to clean leadership, where organizational design is transformed, not just to focus on making as much money as possible, but takes into account ethics, the development of people and strategic intent and things like that, where, where suddenly companies are being run, not just to make money, but actually to create spaces, or we call them platforms, that on those platforms, people can actually come and participate and make the best contribution. And about 10 years, no, it's 12 years ago, I started to write something, it's never been published, and I, but I started to write something called The Human Condition. And I was looking at how people contribute, why people contribute, when people contribute. And I realized that it, there was a very simple, not formula, but sort of set of conditions. If you create the conditions for somebody to participate in something that they are passionate about or care about or enjoy, they then make a contribution. And if you appreciate that contribution, they want to do it more. And so if we get to participate in something that's important to us, we get to contribute, we get appreciated for it, we want to participate more, and it's just a virtuous circle of loveliness. And if you can do that in a business or in a community or anywhere, what you get is you bring people together. And I got challenged by this. I was doing a talk at Exeter University, um, and the questioner said, yeah, but that doesn't always happen. I said... Well, it is actually the natural law of people. That's what people naturally do. He said, no, 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 that's not true. I said, well, let me prove it to you. If you see a crisis, something happens, what do people do? The first people there will come in and they'll start to help. They'll use their own skills. They'll use their own knowledge. They'll self-organize and they'll be helping, doing something to help. Then the professionals arrive who are trained in that. Now the professionals bring their set of skills, but they also bring their rules of engagement. And what you see is the volunteers stand back and eventually they stand back and all they're doing is watching while the professionals, now the professionals don't push them out, but the volunteers no longer can operate in that circumstance because they don't know the rules of that game. Before they were making it up themselves. That's the natural law of people, they were contributing. The environment was there for them to contribute because it was a crisis. Now, if you could create that environment without having to have the crisis where people get to contribute what they know, you're giving them the freedom to make that contribution. So 
Mike and I, I, I that was sort of natural law of people was something I brought to the party. And Mike, when he heard it, he suddenly realized that, yes, it's this idea. If you give people freedom to participate in something that they value, that's the juice. That's when people get excited. And, you know, the strap line I use now is make work a worthwhile experience for everyone. And I ask when I do public talking, speaking, any, any gigs I'm at, I say, you know, hands up, those of you who actually feel that work is a worthwhile experience for you. And obviously there's not that many people in the room that put their hand up. Um, and the ones that do, when I start to qualify, they go, yeah, not every day. Okay, fine. No, not every day is, is better than not at all. But there's too many people at work because they have to be at work, not because they actually get an opportunity to participate, to contribute and get appreciated for it. And to me, that's the conditions for growth for people. So that's that's what it's all about in my book. So if I can get everyone to believe in that, that's where it's going. That's the that's the future. I love it. And I'm I'm absolutely with you. And one of my whole steps of purpose is contribute. It's it's all about how people can contribute to what they're doing in in a bigger collective piece, in a collaborative piece. And it's so important in purpose, the contribution element. Well it, it... Human, if human beings don't get to contribute, you're, you're shutting them down. And I think um, I was a fantastic talk um, by a lady called Lucy Smith up in Bristol. And she works in with neurodiverse people in business and helping businesses understand how to create the conditions for neurodiverse people to succeed in business. When you get people, and it's not that neurodiverse, it's just a, a group we can identify. But when you give people the right conditions to contribute, what they can contribute, wow. And she put this slide up that had all the superpowers of people with different neurodiversities. And I looked at it and I literally stopped her talk and I said, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. You've just created a distinction here. And a distinction, If once, once you have a distinction, it gives you the ability to know if you are in that distinction or not in that distinction. And I said, you've just created a distinction for these different neurodiversity types that enable me as a business owner or a business coach or whatever to say, right, I need to create the conditions for that person to make their superpower, make a difference to the company. But when, what about your janitor? What about the secretary? What about the receptionist? What about every single person in the organization, not just the high flyers, but everyone can make a contribution. So how do you flip it from not just the neurodiverse people but how do you go on oh, i need to create decisions for everyone to be able to make the best contribution so you need a lot of diversity in your business diverse conditions different conditions where people of different uh, contribution types or participation types get to participate fully i mean it's, it, it sort of makes sense but it's sort of like it's too obvious that people don't even think about it yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking that a metaphor that we could use is when you get a pet, mm -hmm. you create the conditions that there's the right environment for them. So if you're getting an amphibian or, I mean, I'm not an expert in, in any of these, but you would create, you'd have a, a what are they call tepidarium or something, yeah. and you, you have the right heat for them. Yeah. So it's about creating the right condition for an, an animal, and, and essentially we're animals, so we're creating the right conditions for what we need to do to thrive. And, and interestingly, when you look at the wider population, because it's so diverse, that's really 
hard to think about. But the, the, the thing we have in businesses, which is really sort of unique and a unique opportunity, if you like, is we can create conditions in small groups. And this is the thing Mike and I worked out when we were suddenly had that moment of silence was we don't work with big teams. We may work with a big company, but we work with small teams within that company and other small teams and other small teams. And um, uh, Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, where he's talking about, you know, going from one to many is just enhancing and improving, et cetera, to tweaking. But going from zero to one is actually creating something that did not exist before. And so in any business, when you're creating teams, if you're thinking, oh, it's one to N, you're actually not creating new teams. You've got to go right back to the individual people and create the conditions for that team to work and then the next team to work. And when you do that, you start creating teams that you're influencing in the, con the constraints of the organization. So those constraints would be the strategy or strategic intent, the ethical values they've got, the business purpose, all those things, the financial purpose, the development of people purpose. All of those are the constraints that affect all teams. But in each team, you can create this sort of micro, we call them micro teams or micro environment where that team gets to perform really well and communicate with other teams transformation happens a lot quicker then because you know the aim of any transformation is to improve the sharp end of the business normally you know, it's, it's you know to make more money or whatever but it's it's to to get the business working properly and it has to go through all these tiers of leadership and executive and management and sub-management and divisional management until it gets down to the people that actually do the work transformation is about the workforce and it's got to come from the workforce up and that's what we sort of always worked on is working small teams and another small team and it goes up through the organization quicker always but it's it's creating you get to create if you like a contract with the people in that team of this is how we're going to operate this is what participation means for us and i don't know if you've ever heard the phrase social contract it started about 1640s and things like that and it sort of lost its power but the beauty of a social contract is it covers all the aspects you need in an organization. It talks about how to behave. It talks about how to interact. It talks about the language you're going to use. It gives all the conditions, the basic conditions you need. And its contract is that you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to sign up to this. So there's these two things that the way of being and this contractual obligation brought together for that particular group. And the next group and the next group and you may have a global social contract in an organization or a company but every single one of them fits with underneath it they're all subsets of it now wouldn't it be great if you had that in the world but try and figure out what the global one's going to be i think we'd have a bit of a challenge to get that but that's the way we're going to solve things like climate change but you know get there one day <laughs> another conversation um and I, when you do that, what what I love is you create a platform, not a platform that is rigid and solid, but a platform that's really created out of language and communication that people can come and be members of that platform, make their best contribution, be appreciated, live for the platform, if you like, um, live on the platform, be part of the platform. Uh, 
And that's when companies really come alive. Or societies or communities or anything, really. That's when, it's, that's when you, you get something special. Yeah, any entity that you create. So I just want to come back to the talk that you stopped. Was it, did you say yeah. Lucy Smith? Yeah. Yeah, so you stopped her talk. What happened after you'd stopped it because of the distinction? Well, her comment was, yes, this is, you're right. And she hadn't thought about it like that. She hadn't thought about it from the, the lens of a distinction. Uh, there was the sponsor lady who's um, from a law firm who'd actually sponsored the event, who had been talking about their new office reorganisation that they'd done. And I sort of half cheekily said, and of course you considered that before the reorganisation, didn't you? <laughs> Not. Um, but, you know, it just made me realise that we have these big schemes that we don't, you do have to get down to the detail. And the only way to do that is get down to the people. Um, that's where it works. I mean, it was a very good talk. I mean, she's a, she's a very, um, she'd be a good person to speak to. She's a, she's a very, very nice lady. And I think, so we, go. Yeah, Sorry? no, no. Yeah, you, what were you going to say? That, you know, I think people like, Lucy and there are, there are others who have spotted this um, or spotted distinctions in people. Um, and we know that some of people are more creative and some of people are more process driven. Human beings aren't linear, really. We are very non-linear things. But we are independently intelligent. And I, there's um, Peter Senge did all his um, systems theory stuff, which was very linear. He thought it was non-linear, but actually his branches were still linear. It was only going one way at a time. Where actually Mike did work at the Santa Fe Institute, um, and they were working on complex adaptive systems theory. And Mike worked with that and tried to pull that, um, along with a few others, and apply it into the business world. And it didn't fit. And they couldn't figure out why it didn't fit. So they did more analysis, more testing, more experiments. And then one day, literally one day, realized that it was the people that were the issue. Because they were looking at complex adaptive systems that were almost inert. But now when you look at complex adaptive systems and you have people in them, you have intelligence and you have independent intelligence. And so Mike coined the phrase in you know, intelligent complex adaptive systems. And that's where we started to realize, yeah, you know, when you, if you can identify the elements that are required and influence them in the way that you want them to go in the direction of travel, then an independent, an intelligent complex adaptive system is the most powerful thing. Now we call them organizations, but that's what they are. They are organizations that live through intelligent complex adaptive system theory which is why you know small tiny little things can change a business you don't have to be massive big things small little cultural change or changes in conditions will affect the culture and that will change the business um and that's why you don't need to swamp a business with a new idea you just need to work with the people and almost give them a little challenge, change a little condition and let that ripple through the company. Yeah, I love it. And where we started on this conversation from starting a new life in, in 
you moving into a new area physically in location and yep. it has been this constant evolution of, through the conversation of different direction but still with the underlying constant of creating conditions everything that you've done through making the hedge happen and making yep. this these books happen everything has been a case of creating the right conditions and you're right i mean it will be a case of we don't know what ripples will come as a result of what you're doing and as a result of this conversation and as a result of what happens thereafter it is an emergence of and it's it's beautiful and and that's what life is right and it, and i remember at school as a young person you were almost taught like this is how life works no, it's a, it was like a linear, this is what's going to happen to your life. Um, and they never taught anything about emergence. You know, evolution was talked about as survival of the fittest, but they never talked about, well, how did that thing come about before evolution took over? So we never got deeper than evolution, and we thought evolution was it. But actually, before evolution, there's emergence. Evolution works on what emerges. and in business, we have the, I mean, I think Simon Sinek, I can't quote his words, but in, um, in his leader's book, um, he did make the comment, uh, he had a lovely phrase about how we chase um, arbitrary figures, you know, the budgets and things like that. We have this whole thing where we think that we're going to win at the end of it. And it's like you know, the infinite game, it was in the infinite game, sorry. Um, we don't know what's going to happen next but you talk to any businessman and they'll give you predictions but they'll give you predictions like they're going to happen <laughs> so we know this is going to happen um we've experienced in this country that not happening i mean brexit is a classic example of everyone telling us what was going to happen and hardly any of it has happened the way anyone said it was going to be why because there's a bunch of intelligent, complex adaptive systems running around doing their own thing and adapting with their intelligence to what's going on around them. And we, this is happening in every single company. So when people try and make a change to their business, whether it's five people and they go, oh, we're going to slightly change direction, but they don't look at the conditions that exist, they can't actually work out how to make it work. They'll get a little way, they'll make some changes, but then the conditions will push it back to where it was. And so we've got to figure out how to get people to start thinking about emergence and how it influences, or how it affects their business, and then learning how they can influence that. And that, that would be a sh mega shift in how our businesses are run, or how society runs, how people live their life, rather than thinking, I'll do that and that'll work. Because I'll do that, somebody else will have an idea about it, and then something else will come up. And we talk about creating transformative, innovative businesses that are continually transforming, continually innovating, continually working on the emergence that happens to capture the surprises and make them into really powerful businesses. It's rather good fun doing that, you know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> And that, and that's it, isn't it? That's what keeps you interested because you are working and focused on growth. 
it is always evolving. It is always changing for you. And so the diversity there is is piquing your your interest. Well, well it is, but but there's, it, that part, the external part is changing. But the focus of what I do in an organisation, what I do with people, is always the same. In as much as I'm teaching them something, and then facilitating them using it, and then I get out of the way, because. You don't need me around for long. All you need me to do is like knock a little bit, a little hinge that's going to swing the big door and show you how it worked so that you can repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. I think there's a, a myth. And I don't know if you've read the book about um, the big con, all about consulting, about you know how some big companies have made millions. I haven't got a copy of it there to show you what it looks like. But it's, um, of course I have. There you go. There you go, that one. So Mariana Mazzucato and Rosie Collington, the big con. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. Thank you. And the big con. And in there, they talk about, you know, this idea that consulting has weakened and infantilized our businesses because we think we need to bring intelligence in to sort our business out. If you're a business owner and you run a business and you've got a problem that you're facing, the best people to solve it work for you today. They are in your company right now. And all you need to do is create the conditions that enable those people to come and participate in solving the problem and contribute their knowledge, their passion, their skill, their energy, their enthusiasm to coming up with a solution. If you do that, you don't need an external consultant. The only thing you need to learn is how do you create those conditions? And that's that's really all I do is teach people how to create the conditions. And once you've done that, and someone's experienced that, they're going to do it again and again and again because they're going to they're going to be able to go back to stop, pause, breathe, continue. They're going to be able to every now and again stop, check what's going on, see what's working, see what's not working, and importantly, see what's missing. Remove the obstacles, bring in the development that you need, and carry on. And the development you need is never the idea that somebody can come in and tell you how to do it. The development you need is giving people the tools and the conditions to develop themselves and learn. And I got into a big argument, <laughs> not that I do that often, but no, it was a discussion uh, about the talent shortage that everyone's going on about now. And I said, there is not a talent shortage. There is a shortage of people development, and it's actually started 20 years ago. And they argued against it for about five minutes. And then they suddenly realized, oh, my God, you're right. That's when companies stop training people. So you know, I don't know if you see it with people you work with, but they, this idea that I need to get new talent in when actually turn around and look at the people you've got. It's right behind you. It's right next to you. You just got to learn to recognize it and give it the opportunity. Yeah. I, I I hear you. And a couple of things spring to mind. It's the Napoleon Hill quote of uh, you have all the tools you need, you know, essentially ready. And then as, as you go along, more better tools will come along as you go. I, mm -hmm. I've butchered I've butchered that. Sorry, Napoleon Hill. <laughs> but but it is it is that case. Or or it's it's the difference between giving someone a fish or teaching them how to fish. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's then knowing that what's right for them. Adrian, who 
would want to get in contact with you and how could they if what's the best way for doing that i love this question because it's such a difficult question to answer in reality but the simplest form is you're the person who sees a different way of doing things you see a a vision of what your organization could look like you know that it's going to it's going to be something positive and you want to get to it and you're just struggling to see how do i go from a to b and what you don't need is somebody telling you how to get there what you do need is somebody giving you the tools that enables you to build the steps to get there and that starts with creating the right conditions around your people and in learning how to really engage your people in your company to deliver results that are going to go towards that direction. I'm actually working um, with an organization that the, the owner is stepping back and he wants the, the current directors to take over running the business, but he's a really powerful force in the business. You know, he's the person that everyone looks to and, and goes to to say, how, what, can we, should we? And he wants them to know how to do that. So we are working on creating a social contract for that group so that they know what the rules of the game are. They know what the constraints are and they know how to play within that field. Now, that's not me teaching him how to run his business. That's me teaching him how to take what's in his head and create it into a form that everyone can operate within. And that to me is the best thing you do because I don't want to work with one company for the rest of my life. You know, sometimes an engagement might last two years. Great. But that's because there's a lot to do or there's lots of people to work with. But normally it's quite quick. But it's people who have, I sometimes say it's a champion who wants to make their cause work. And they can't quite see how to get it there. So that's that's who. Brilliant. And how? How do they get in contact with you? Just uh, the easiest way is to send me an email. And I know you're going to put the, the details down there, adrian at mcmasterbrown.com. I'll go to the website and book um, an introduction call, which is a free 30-minute call. And in that, we have a conversation. Uh, and that conversation will either create the possibility of doing something together or it won't. But what I promise in the conversation is I'll find one obstacle that you can take and fix now, the instant fix. Because there's always something that you haven't thought about. And that's not being a clever, smart ass from out of town. That's just the nature of life. That's emergence. You and I have a conversation, something emerges from it. And, you know, something will always emerge. Every time. I, I, Every I guaranteed. Time. <laughs> so, and, Adrian, yeah, go on. And, you know, read the book, um, Power, of Leadership, Power of Clean Leadership. I think it's, it's probably uh, it's a two-hour read if you're a reasonably normal speed reader. Um, and in there, there's lots of little tips about the start of where to start. And one of it's about how to communicate and engage your people. Fantastic. Adrian, I always love our conversations, partly because I come away with a whole list of books that I haven't <laughs> read or a reminder to, to reread some books. And thank you. The, the list has been quite extensive in today's conversation. But thank you so much for coming back and sharing why you do what you do and, and also to a little bit of what you've been doing and how you've been doing it and having that insight in understanding that it really is about creating conditions for growth, which is a beautiful purpose to to have and to to continue with 
for the rest of your days on the planet. So thank you. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. How would you like to close out this episode for the audience? Oh, well, firstly, thank you to you. I mean, congratulations to you on what you've done. Um, did I create the conditions for you to start this in that, you know, getting you to do that first talk? I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of help there. But I think the medium of podcasts and listening and the opportunity, I mean, I listen to lots of podcasts now and it's like they're on in the background and you get little little segments. I just like people to take one thing away, just one thing, which is like, just look around you and find that obstacle, find that thing that might be getting in the way and deal with that. And when you've dealt with that, look for the next one. Instead of trying to solve it all, just look at the first thing. What's the first obstacle you could look at and deal with? And if you've got a team of you and you trust them and you've got that engagement and you've built the relationship, ask them what the obstacle is. At some point, you're going to get to obstacles which are people and people's beliefs and people's stories and people's you know story about how things should be. It gets a bit more complicated then. But don't make people wrong listen to them because what they're doing is they're expressing their view and their view might have huge value you just could be able to walk around the object walk around the problem and see it from their side to understand what they're seeing because that may change how you think about things and think about the problems so just find one obstacle and see if you can just solve that because that the smallest obstacle can break the problem completely open so just work on that and if you if that's all you take away from today job done <laughs> how has this conversation had an impact on you what value have you received from tuning in what are your reflections with actions please take a moment to leave me an apple podcast or spotify review sharing how focus on why has made a difference to you today Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.